0: Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast, I believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my co-host Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B. Michael Freer. This is episode number 44, the logo episode, as Jerry West was the no-brainer honoree here tonight. And I mainly only know Jerry West as a front office executive. So why don't you guys shed some light on him as a player?
1: World B, he's a fellow Mountaineer, so you should go first. Absolutely. Well, he's, uh, he's the greatest.
2: He's the logo. Uh, my story about him is my freshman year at uh, WVU in the spring semester, I walked into the sports information office where I was a student assistant, and I saw uh, a couple of movie reels, old movie reels for all you people at home that are old enough to know that, and it said West Virginia basketball, 1959 versus Kentucky, 1960 versus North Carolina. I asked if I could watch these. They said yes. So I took them back across the hallway to the student office where they had a nice white wall and a projector. And I got to pop them in there and watch the game in color, by the way, back in the 1950s. And and I will tell you this. If, no, if you never knew who Jerry West was just by watching the movies, you know, the film of them, you would know exactly who the best player on the court was. He was miles ahead of everybody else in terms of fundamentals and skills and how he shot and how he ran. Everybody else was in a 1950s mode of basketball, whatever. and Jerry literally seemed to be a generation ahead with his skill set. It was really, my jaw was on the floor watching that whole time. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was that impressive.
1: My Jerry West story goes back to about, I'm going to say around 1969, okay? He was still playing. I was 12 years old at the time, uh, so now I guess you guys can figure out how old I am. Um, <laughs> and I I used to sometimes after school go to the shopping mall in my hometown of Brockton, Massachusetts with my mother. She'd go shopping to get certain things, and I'd go to this um, department store called Bradley's, which for those of you who are used to seeing a department store like Walmart, Bradley's was sort of a mini version of a Walmart. It was a local chain anyway. So, but they had a really nice sporting goods department. So I, my mother's shopping. I go in the sporting goods department. I'm bouncing the balls. I'm swinging the bats. I'm amusing myself until it's time to leave. So this one day I walk in there and sitting by the cash register in a one of those folding chairs like you sit at at church on bingo night, there's Jerry West sitting there all by himself No representative of the athletic company, no representative from the store, sitting there with a stack of these photos next to him on, like, the cash register, you know, glass thing. I was so in awe, I couldn't even speak. I walked up to him, and I wanted to say something, but I think I was just so shocked that he was there and so intimidated by the fact that it's Jerry West. I mean, everyone knew who Jerry West was back then. He signs the picture for me. It's the classic logo picture. Ooh. And I still have it. I have it in a frame. That I've had that picture f- more than a half a century. Okay. And to this day, I still can't believe that it happened, but I know it did because I got the picture. And I wouldn't have had that picture <laughs> if it didn't happen.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. And the, I would ever, I would bet against the NBA ever changing that league's <laughs> logo. Uh, from Jerry West, so that's definitely a very cool uh, memento to have, and uh, great story as well. What a nice surprise that day for you! And uh, speaking of bets, I would also like to let everybody know about Bet Online. It's the number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Uh, get the latest odds and lines, and and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, and NHL hockey, golf to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code "belief," that is B L. E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And let's start tonight's podcast out with our opening tips. And Bruce, why don't you lead us off?
1: I'm going to find that Jerry West picture and I'm going to tweet it (laughs) out. I'm going to tweet it out as like a promo for the show. I just (laughs) think it's so great. The world just needs to be in on this. I mean, you talk about something, you got (laughs) to deliver it, right? So I will tweet that out at some point as part of promoting this show and whatever. And you can ignore it if you'd like. All right, my opening comment. Sunday was Mother's Day, and my wife Nancy and I drove from our home outside of Hartford, Connecticut, almost to New York City, to the town of uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, to meet our sons and daughter-in-law for a brunch to celebrate the holiday. It's always fun seeing the family, and it was a beautiful day. I knew I was not going to be home in time for the start of Sixers-Celtics game seven, but I was recording the game and I figured I'd be home around the time the second quarter started. And my plan was to watch the game on tape from the start, speed through all the commercials, get to halftime, hopefully be around caught caught up, spin through the 15 minutes of halftime and pick up the third quarter live. Right. The plan was working great. OK. And then as we were around 45 miles from home, I saw the air pressure on one of the tires on my dashboard start to gradually go down. Oh no. Uh, And I knew and I knew that I drove over something or whatever. So uh I I knew where I was I was on Interstate 84 near Southington, Connecticut, which is actually one town over from ESPN. I knew the exit, if I could make it to this exit, I knew there was a big truck stop at this exit and I could at least get off the road and try and change this tire. I didn't want to do it on the side of the road. So that happens get to the gas station, tried putting more air in the tire, didn't work. It was just coming out as quick as it could go in. So I had the car up on the jack, right? Um, I've changed tires before. I know how to do it. So I put the car up on the jack and tried unscrewing the lug nuts, but the wrench that I had had a short handle, and I couldn't get enough torque to really bear down and turn those lug nuts. So I had to call AAA. Well, we're waiting for AAA, and I'm just doing a slow burn on the side of the road. So I'm thinking, I should be watching this game right now. I'm so pissed. You know how I feel about the Celtics. I'm missing this game. Philadelphia, Game 7, you know, shit. So AAA, as we're waiting for assistance, I put on ESPN radio, and I listened to my buddies, Mike Cousins and Corey Alexander, call the game. I would work with them the week before. It was a game I would have thoroughly enjoyed watching, but it was not to be. Mike and Corey did an outstanding job. We eventually got the tire fixed, and we headed home. The Celtics won. I watched the game on tape Sunday night, even though I knew the result. And by the way, there's no moral to this story here. But it's a Mother's (laughs) Day I won't soon forget.
0: Yeah. Well, at least you're not a Sixers fan, because that could have been the ultimate uh, day for you to obviously lose that game how they did, and then also... uh, have to go through that. So sorry to hear that's how you spent your Mother's Day, and uh, really feel for your wife as well, because I'm sure uh, that wasn't the way she imagined spending her uh, wonderful Mother's Day. So,
1: World my B, wife always has good. My wife always has good feedback for me, and she was generous with it as we were sitting there. <laughs> well, that's good to hear.
0: Yeah. How, how about you, World B?
2: Well, if nothing else this postseason has allowed the basketball world to be introduced to the name Matt Ishbia. The new Suns owner who purchased the team last December gave fans in Phoenix a nice welcoming gift in February when the Suns were able to make a trade and acquire future Hall of Famer Kevin Durant. But then, once in the playoffs, Ishbia made a pair of moves that left fans scratching their head, but paying attention. The first was Ishbia's run-in, if you will, with two-time MVP Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. A shove from Jokic cost cost him 25000 but it may have cost Ishbia even more because the whole NBA world that was watching got to see him sitting courtside right next to Isaiah Thomas. And trust me, that's not always a good thing. And after being eliminated by the Nuggets, Ishbia made perhaps the most puzzling move of all, making the decision to fire well-respected Monty Williams as head coach. And now the names of those rumored in the mix for this prestigious position have ranged everywhere from Teron Liu to Nick Nurse to Mike Budenholzer. And no, Suns fans, Tom Izzo will not be coming to take the job, no matter what you think about the connections. But with KD and Devin Booker on the roster, hiring the right coach could have Matt Ishba giving him a chance to make a name for himself by bringing the city of Phoenix to championship instead of beyond instead of beyond being the guy that just got shoved by a former MVP.
0: Yeah, it should be very interesting to see what the Suns decide to do. They have a big summer ahead, lots of changes that are certainly going to be made or sure seem like it. Uh, I would fully expect Chris Paul to probably be out the door. DeAndre Ayton, I think, is going to be out the door. But what makes this interesting is the coaching interviews. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the first questions I would ask is, you know, how would you handle coaching Deandre Ayton? And if maybe the guy is optimistic, he could be the one to really connect with Deandre. As we sure know, Monty Williams didn't. And that was one of the big flaws within the team. Uh, it, it, it's going to be big. It's going to be uh, exciting to see what Phoenix does, but I think this is a, a welcome change and uh, they needed a new change in voice. So I'm actually supportive of the move, which has surprised some people. Um, but I think, uh, You know, getting a coach in here with a new voice is what this team needs, of course, with their uh, new star in town and Kevin Durant alongside Devin Booker. As for my opening tip, I just want to uh, share a quote with you all and see if you guys can tell me who it is. Me and James, we can't win alone. That's why basketball is played five on five. We need everybody to find ways to be better. That just so happened to be a quote from the MVP after dropping a game seven in which he did not play particularly well himself. And uh, first thing I thought about is where's the accountability. You're supposed to be the leader of the team. You're the MVP. I I would have voted him MVP. I was certainly happy. He finally won one. And boy, was I just left disappointed uh, with that remark in the post game uh, comments. I mean, Joel Embiid himself is now 0-3 in game sevens. Um, Just would like to see a little bit more, Accountability and ownership for his own poor play. Embiid for the game played 38 minutes, 15 points on five of 18 shooting, which is horrendous. 0 of 4 from three, four turnovers. I mean, just didn't do much out there. Credit to Boston's defense. But, you know, if you're the MVP, the one thing you got to be able to do, especially on the road, is uh, counter with some offense. He was unable to deliver that. And that was a huge reason uh, this team certainly. Fell behind there early, even before Tatum really caught fire and uh, was just disappointed that the MVP this year didn't have better things to say and didn't try in you know, in a way throwing his teammates under the bus uh, for things that he could have definitely helped helped with. So um, come on and be, be better. That, that's my uh, opening tip here tonight. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about the game with our first quarter as the Celtics took the series over Philadelphia behind Jason Tatum's incredible 51-point performance. And Bruce, I'm sure you watched the game on uh, on tape. You said that you recorded it. So let's start with you. After watching the tape of the game, uh, what were your big takeaways from the big game seven?
1: Well, this wasn't going to be my original first point here, but since you were talking about Embiid, I want to kind of say something about, about him as my first comment now, just to play off what you said. I believe Joel Embiid battled pretty hard. But in the final two games, you know, he only averaged about 20 points, 38% shooting. I think the trying to deal with Al Horford and Robert Williams the third clearly took a toll on him in those last two games. Because they didn't guard him that way for the first, you know. Well, he didn't play game one, but the next four games, they didn't guard him that way. So he was dominating because they weren't doing the right thing on defense. Well, when Joe Missoula, who was taking his share of crap, uh in collaboration with some of his players said we're going to go with the two big starting lineup all of a sudden now they're coming at Joel in waves and big waves like tall guys not double teams with guards although we saw them build a wall at one point and there were guards involved in that too but their basic defense was you know okay you're gonna have to deal with two bigs and i think that really took its toll on him and uh, they didn't have guys enough guys making shots to sort of cause him to give the ball up to people that could make better buckets. But I digress. This game was close at halftime. Boston was only ahead by three. But the Celtics absolutely dropped the hammer on those guys in the third quarter. They outscored them by 23 points in that quarter and ended up winning by 24. So really, that was the game. Jason Tatum's going to get 95% of the credit for the Game 7 win. And you know, deservedly so. I mean, fifty-one points. I mean, was a historic performance. But here's an interesting fact: Tatum actually averaged more points in their three losses than he did in their four wins. He averaged thirty-three a game in their losses. He averaged twenty-six in their wins, and that includes that fifty-one burger. Washington won this series with its defense. Okay, that two big lineup in the starting lineup in Philly's three wins they averaged almost 117 points. In their four losses, they averaged just under 91. That's like a difference of 26 points in the games you won and lost. And I'm sure World B has some sort of extraction on that number that would put that in some record-breaking category for like a difference in one team in the same series. Harden's stats for the series look pretty good. 22 points, 6.6 rebounds, 8 assists. But if you look at his numbers in the four losses – 12.5 points a game on 22% field goal shooting. I mean, it was a really good series, but in Game 7, I mean, it was just too much Jason Tatum and not enough James Harden and Joel Embiid. Will be?
2: Yeah, this uh, Game 7 will be known for basically three things. I mean, really two if you want to combine them, but it's going to be uh, known for Jason Tatum, uh, 51 points. He scored 51 to their 102, by the way. I know it's 112, but he had half their points at, you know, with that 51 uh, point performance topping Steph from like a week ago. And it'll be known for uh, Joel M. and James Harden. Uh, not just not being able to win, but coming up really small when the team need the most. I agree with you, uh, Ross. I mean, when I read that quote, I just, I just uh, rolled my eyes. I was like, I mean, that's unbelievable. Another person doesn't want to be accountable, but doesn't mind taking the money for being a star right. on the first and the 15th, yep. you know, but you know, but don't put the pressure on me, please. Cause I can't handle it. Well, you can't have it both ways. And no. uh, especially in sports, if you want the money, the accountability comes with the territory. And these two, I mean, Joel indeed has time to repair his reputation in these games. James Harden is just, and I I was with, you know, the whole time we've been doing this show during the series, I told you, he makes the offense go when he's going, the offense goes not, it's not Joe Md, it's James Harden. And boy, he did not go on, <laughs> he go on uh, game seven, you know, on Sunday, nine points, seven, I mean, five turnovers, he had two, five turnovers and three made field goals. How are you supposed to win when your point guard does that? It's It can't be done. So. No. That's what the series will be known for. Is really, I take a, I know Joel MD is zero three in Game Sevens. I get that, and I'm as big a critic for what he said afterwards as anybody. But let's let's also remember one of those Game Sevens was up in Toronto in 2019 when the ball bounced about 10 times before it went in. So he gets yeah. saddled with an L for that one when you know it very easily could have been uh, you know W. Moving on, this is a Philly team that. There's going to be, you talk about changes coming to Phoenix. What's going to happen in Philadelphia? I mean, is Doc going to be back? Are you really comfortable with Doc Rivers coaching that team one more season, getting you to this point? And uh, they haven't made the conference finals. They haven't won two playoff series in a single postseason since Allen Iverson, since uh, 2001. That's over 20 years. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, for me as a uh, New York guy and an East coast guy, that's, that's unacceptable. I would think in Philadelphia, how can you go that long and have two great players and have a top 15 coach that I'm told doc rivers is that's how the voting went last year for the yeah. 75 team, one of 15 greatest coaches, which, you know, we'll deal with that another time, but I couldn't stop laughing over that one. Um, so this, this is going to be known for Jason Tatum, Finally stepping up, and not just that he stepped up, he was not doing what we remember till the fourth quarter of game six. He was having a disaster. And now you go from that, what's that 67 points and five quarters of play? That's unbelievable production from your star, from your high paid guy, from the guy who gets the money. He's that's what you do when you're the star. You come up in the biggest moments. Jason Tatum did.
1: Yeah, he it sure doesn't, did. Doesn't sound like you trusted the process, uh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I'll say this, for all those that criticize it, and I was one of the biggest ones as well, they are a lot better than they were during the process. I mean, they, they, it you can make the argument it's worked in terms of being a success in ter- from where they were. Now, getting to closer to a championship, no, they're not anywhere closer.
0: And uh, you talked about the historic performance by uh, Jason Tatum. This definitely has to go down. as one of the best game seven performances of all time with the 51 points. Looking at these guys now in the resume in Boston, Jalen Brown now six and one in career game sevens, Jason Tatum five and one. I already mentioned MB being 03, but. They've still got a long way to go there in Beantown if you're Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. I want to quickly let our listeners in on Bill Russell in Game 7s. He played in a total of 10 Game 7s during his NBA career, and he went a perfect 10-0. And, and then if you want to take his entire career into perspective here, and you want to include NCAA, Olympics, and the NBA, Bill Russell played in 21, and he won all of them. He's 21-0. So you just want to talk about Bill Russell's greatness. And sometimes I think we lose track of some of the older legends in the league. Everyone goes, yeah, I know he's one of the top guys, but why? 21-0 in Game 7 is Bill Russell. And that is why he is arguably the greatest of all time, some would say.
1: And he wasn't going up against garbage players. I mean, no. they beat Jerry Weston Elgin Baylor a number of times in the final. Yep. Two of the greatest players in the history of the game. You know, we already yep. talked about Jerry West. Elgin Baylor, until he got injured, was probably as good, if not better, than Jerry West, certainly statistically. I'll pretend mm-hmm. I didn't hear that, Bruce. I'll just
0: <laughs> – and, and, and one last <laughs> stat – no And one last stat here before we head on to our second quarter. Uh, the MVP has now uh, not won a championship in the same season in eight straight years with Embiid uh, – falling to the Boston Celtics. So it's been eight straight since we've had an MVP hoist up the Larry O'Brien at the end of the year, but with the Celtics win, let's get to our second quarter here as they now face the Miami heat in the Eastern conference finals. And Bruce, I'm sure you, you were fully expecting this matchup, uh, heading into, uh, this season, right? I mean, it was going to be heat Celtics and, uh, it, it would be quite a story. I'm sure that's exactly what you were expecting, but, uh, How how, how are you looking at your squad here going up against this feisty Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat?
1: Let's back up a minute because I remember saying, probably on this show, but definitely to you guys, I was happy that Boston finished number two behind Milwaukee because with Miami winning that play-in game, Boston avoided having to get them in the first round. They ended up with Atlanta, which was a much easier team for them to beat than Miami. And we're going to yep. find that out starting on Wednesday, How just how difficult that job is. So, uh, you know, you have to eventually go through the best teams. And right now, I mean, Miami looks to be, you know, pretty damn good. Um, as far as the season series is concerned, it was really pretty even considering that they were about a 20-game difference in their one, not 20, but maybe 15 games difference in their one loss record. They played four games. Two and two. Each team won a game on the road. So each team was one and one at home, one and one on the road. Bam Adebayo, for like the fourth year in a row, was Miami's best player against Boston. He always is. 25 points a game. Tyler Hero won't be playing in this series unless Pat Riley has some sort of like crazy medical staff getting him ready. But he also is a Celtics killer. Uh, So yet another break for Boston in this postseason. We talked about how many they've gotten. Here's another one. If they don't have to face Hero because he was really their second best player uh, against the Celtics. Jimmy Butler didn't even play in two of the four games and the Heat were only one and one when he played. So the guy you have to watch out for to have a really big series in this one is Jalen Brown. Okay. Tatum averaged almost 31 against the Heat, but Brown averaged over 30 in the three games he played. So you're looking if they, you know, again, unless, I mean, Spolster always figure out figures out a way to throw some junk defense out there, play some zone, whatever, make it tough on opponents. He's such a good coach. So unless he's got something special planned, I think the, the two Jays are probably going to have a pretty big series, and it's going to be up to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, And then somebody else beyond those two to kind of, you know, give them a boost. Otherwise, Boston, I think, gets the series. Will B, do you think this uh, Miami
0: Heat team can even score with the Boston Celtics? That's one of my biggest questions heading into this series.
2: It's a a very valid question because for all their greatness, uh, they were not a great shooting team during the regular season. I've mentioned it over and over in this on the podcast. They were at bottom five in three point shooting, and then they went ahead against Milwaukee and shot the lights out. So if they can pull put that performance together, yeah, they they'll have they'll have a, a definitely a shot. Or but are we going to see the team that shot the way they did against the Knicks, and they stunk? They were just a terrible yeah. shooting performance. The the difference was New York was worse because Miami played so well, and and you but you're going up. Knicks were a top 10 offense, but they were not in the level of Boston's offense. So let's just you know get that out there right now. There was a big difference between Boston and a lot of teams in the NBA when it comes to offense. You're talking Boston was on a level with the Kings, the Nuggets, and that might be it in terms of really efficient offenses this year. First couple of months, they were on a historic pace, the Celtics were, in terms of efficiency on offense. They cooled off considerably, and it shows in this series. The t- they, they, these teams haven't met in about four months now. So it's important to realize that, too. They haven't met since late January. So it's been almost four months since they've seen each other. There's a lot that's happened since then, obviously, the injuries and, and, uh, and whatnot. But early on, the first couple of months, I think, uh, first one was in October. The next one's the end of November, was when the <laughs> Texas, Texas offense was in full gear and full, uh, you know, full steam ahead. The last two games, where Miami won, uh, Boston's offense was terrible in both meetings. So you wonder what you're going to get. For me, I agree with you, Ross. How is Miami going to score? They have to shoot better than they did against New York. Or the series is just going to be really quick because you're going up against a defense as well in Boston that is way better than it was in New York. Now the flip side is, real quick, the best defense in the league this year, arguably, was Milwaukee. And Miami had zero very little trouble dealing with Miami uh I'm sorry Milwaukee's defense they can put that performance together against against Boston yeah they have a shot I don't see it happening
1: and, and you yeah, know it's funny uh, go ahead Wendy. I'm sorry I'm I'm sorry uh, I think the big things to watch for in this series are Boston turning the ball over against Miami because here's the thing Boston had a slight edge in their head to heads this year in three point shooting, although it was closer than you might think the Celtics made a little over 15 a game and the heat made close to 14 a game. So that they had a difference of like one and a half threes a game, which for a team to be within one and a half of Boston and made threes over the course of a four game series, you know, it's pretty good. You know, most teams aren't that close, but Miami had a huge edge in turnovers forced Boston can be careless with the ball, and Miami jumps all over that stuff, okay? Miami forced more than 18 turnovers a game against Boston. Boston only forced under 12. So that's a difference of more than six turnovers a game. In a playoff game, a lot of times, that could be the difference.
0: Absolutely, Bruce. And you kind of took the word, uh, words right out of my mouth there because we all know that Celtics are legit. But we also know that one of their biggest downfalls is that they can be their own worst enemy at times. And this Miami Heat is going to test them to the limits with that. No coach in the playoffs has been questioned more than Joe Mazzula. And uh, no coach has received more well-deserved praise than Eric Spolstra. So I'm looking forward to those two kind of going mano-a-mano as head coaches in this one. And it should be really fascinating on all fronts. Now, can Jimmy Butler continue to lead and carry this Miami team? Can Coach Spo pull out all the stops and find ways to expose some of Missoula's flaws as a young coach? Those are the type of things I'm looking forward to in this series. And whether this series are quick or short, or if it's short and quick, or it extends six or seven games, I think we're going to get answers to both of those questions. And uh, just really curious to see what Miami can do. I mean, I almost feel like spolstro is a, mu- uh, a magician. Like, what else is he going to pull out of his hat here to see if he can... Uh, you know, defeat a team like Boston that's really clicking on all cylinders.
2: I'll tell you what, the one thing that Miami has going for it, it's made them one of the most, uh, you know, if I wasn't such a fan of the Knicks, I would appreciate it probably even more. And I mentioned this in the last episode. They are the hustlingest team, if there is such a word, in this playoffs. I mean, they they lead in deflections. They lead in uh, turnovers for They lead in points off turnovers to Bruce's point. In the playoffs, they're averaging 20 points a game off turnovers. This team's not scoring a whole heck of a lot of points. So 20 points a game, you're getting a whole lot of points off turnovers. And they're just, you know, to do all that, diving for loose balls, they lead in, they lead the playoff teams in loose balls recovered. So these are all the hustling stats that they need to do. There's no reason to think they're not going to be that way all of a sudden against uh, Boston, being four wins away from the NBA Finals That. They probably didn't think it was going to happen when they were down in the fourth quarter in the play-in game, the second play-in game to the Bulls. So to go from there to be four wins away, I'm expecting, if nothing else, Miami's going to be all over the floor going for every loose ball and trying to get everything they can to make disrupt the, the flow of Boston. That's a, uh, I mean, if I'm a coach. I'm, uh, that's
1: my plan. I'm disrupting the, whatever flow
2: they, Boston has on offense.
1: Here's a few more things that I would mention. You talked about how uh, Spolstra is a outstanding. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, you know, he just is. Yep. Um, Duncan Robinson didn't play hardly at all during the regular season, but he's been back in the rotation during the playoffs. Partly because Tyler Hero, you know, was one of their best three point shooters, and they needed somebody. Uh, so Duncan Robinson in the postseason is shooting almost 43% from downtown and giving him eight points a game. That's big. I mean, that's a really significant uh, off the bench. And here's another thing. Jimmy Butler in the playoffs is averaging 10 free throw attempts per game. He will get whoever's guarding him in foul trouble because he's relentless. He'll The refs give him whistles because, you know, he plays a certain way and he's aggressive and he gets whistles. Um um, you know, he's averaging over 31 on nearly 53% shooting. My question about, uh, one of my questions about, uh, Miami is can Kevin Love play enough defense to earn minutes? Because we know Bam Adebayo is going to play well. He always hurts Boston and he'll, Missoula and the Boston bigs are going to need to manage their fouls against him too. Cause between Butler and Bam, they can get most of their frontline in foul trouble if they got it going. So I think you'll have to see a little bit more Grant Williams dust him off yep. of the bench because he can at least go out there and, you know, push a little bit down low and try and move Butler off his spots. Um, but this Miami team, they're 3-3 and on the road in the playoffs. They're 8-0 at home. So chances are they're going to take care of their home court when the games are in Miami. Absolutely. And before we head into
0: break here, let's go ahead and make our serious predictions. World B, I'll go ahead and start with you.
2: I think the Celtics are going to win. I think it will be
1: in six games. All right. Bruce? I believe Boston will also win. And it could be six. It could be seven. Miami never goes down easy. So, I mean, it's a guarantee that they'll win at least two. You know, and they could end up, you know, winning three. Hell, they could win four, although I don't think that's going to happen. I got Boston in seven. I'm getting spicy here. I'm going to go
0: Celtics in five. I think they're going to shock some people and uh, go ahead and put them to bed very quickly here as the Western Conference matchup we're about to talk about might get drawn out a bit. But with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. We'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with our third quarter. Let's go ahead and discuss the Western Conference finals. And give you a preview of the Lakers-Nuggets series, which does start here at the time of taping on Monday night. And uh, World B, I'll start with you in this one. Do you think the Lakers have a chance, and can they steal one in Denver?
2: Uh, I I think the situation is going to be just the same as what we talked with Phoenix uh, in the last series. If the Lakers want to get, they're gonna have to get at least one game in Denver. If they're gonna do it. They absolutely need to get one of these first two games. Um, do I think they can do it? Absolutely they can. I don't know if they will. I'm a huge fan of the way the Nuggets have played in this postseason. I, uh, imagine being the number one seed and playing with it like you have a chip on your shoulder, which yeah. is exactly what I, I feel the Nuggets have played this, this postseason. Um, they have proven to be the best team during this regular season out West. They're the best team in this postseason, the most impressive team, at least, in uh, in the Western Conference so far in this postseason.
1: Chris, When will it be safe to say that LeBron James is the greatest of all time? He has a real chance for ring number five in his 20th season. I'm sorry, but you can measure greatness any way you want to, okay? But my vote goes to an athletic freak with a computer brain and a hoop IQ off the charts. He's already the all-time leading scorer. Eventually, he will own many of the most coveted records, although tying MJ is going to be tough. But they both will trail Bill Russell and many other Celtic players. So LeBron James, I believe, can still be the GOAT over MJ, despite having fewer rings. MJ's the GOAT over Russell, and he's got five fewer rings, okay? Here's LeBron's playoff numbers, age 38, 20th season in the league. 23.4 points. 10 rebounds, 5.3 assists. He does need to continue his improvement shooting threes. He's only 26% from downtown in the playoffs, and he's going to need to do better against Denver. But, I mean, he has – I guess there's some people that will never, ever be convinced, no matter what this guy does, that he's the greatest all-around player we've ever seen. I have felt this way for quite some time. And now we're going to see if he really can pull it off against a – two-time MVP in the altitude. Yep. No, just the next tough test here for
0: King James. Um, I think this one comes down to the reserves, believe it or not. You know, I know a lot of the focus in the Lakers-Warriors series was, you know, who could stop Anthony Davis. We found out nobody could when Anthony Davis brought his A game. (laughs) But when it comes to this series, I'm looking kind of at the X factors, the intangibles. I mean, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, you go all the way down the line there. Lonnie Walker, of course. I mean, those guys versus Denver's guys. Christian Braun, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. I want to see how those two match up. I think whoever is more of an assistant to those star players is going to be the biggest question. And then looking kind of at the guard play in this matchup, who's going to defend Jamal Murray on the – Lakers. I think he's got to play big. We talked about him last series against Chris Paul when Chris Paul was still healthy. That that you know he could definitely expose Chris Paul, making him work on the defensive end of the floor, kind of wear him down. He's got to do the same thing this series. He's got to have a big series. He's got to you know keep keep those Laker guards accountable on the outside, and uh, you know that two man play with him and the Joker. That's been beautiful to watch. Can the Lakers? clog that up somehow I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing if the Lakers are able to kind of contain those two as a duo
2: this is going to be a really for me this is a really interesting uh, series because you have a Nuggets team that's been the best most efficient team on offense in the postseason and you have a Laker team that's been the most efficient defensively in the playoffs so where where are you going to go in the matchups they've had so far in the postseason Denver's gone up against a pair of top 10 offenses in uh, Minnesota and Phoenix, or top 10 defenses, excuse me, and they've done away with both of them. Nothing's stopping them from getting their points. On the other hand, you have the Lakers who went up against offenses, top 10 offense or top 11, whatever, in Memphis and Golden State, and they would shut them down. So, you know, what – I guess it becomes a point which one gives in this in this series. And at the end of the day, Denver's got the home court and
1: is in the altitude. You know, a couple other things about the Lakers. I mean, we we barely mentioned Anthony Davis. Is he Batman? Is he Robin? Does it matter? I don't really think it does. As long as he avoids shooting threes, he's an inside terror at both ends of the court. 3.3 block shots per game. Okay. 21-14, and 14, 53% from the floor, 83% from the free throw line. Doesn't get in foul trouble, although we'll see how that goes against Joker because, you know, yeah. he may have to spend more time guarding him than he really wants to. Um, and and AD is leading the team in minutes played. But one of the things that I think has definitely floated under the radar for the Lakers is what I like to call the L.A. guard monster. It's basically the troika of Reeves, Schroeder, and Russell. Between them, they're playing 91 minutes a game total, okay, almost 39 points a game, more than 12 assists, and almost 10 rebounds. I mean, that's great production from your backcourt. And, you know, we've seen Russell just get stupid hot at times where he was just yeah. like, couldn't miss from downtown. Uh, Reeves is a you know, someone we've all admire on this show. We've talked about him frequently. He's he's been just a revelation for those guys. And as you mentioned near the beginning, Ross Rui Hachimura. I mean, eleven points a game, fifty seven percent shooting, fifty three percent on threes. Okay, playing just twenty one minutes a game. I mean, he's their first big off the bench, and uh, it's just been it's been great. I know we're probably wrapping up this discussion, but I wanted to mention one number concerning Denver. The number to watch, 5,280. It's right on the court at each foul line. It reminds everyone who goes to the foul line to shoot a free throw that they're playing in the altitude, and you're here in Denver, and you best not forget it and think about it while you're taking your free throws (laughs) because your lungs are going to be burning, and the more they get you to think about it, the more of an advantage it is. For Denver, guys. I'll
2: say this, too. Yeah. I don't want to cl- top on uh, Bruce's number to watch, but I will give you one one that's worth watching here real quick. Uh, AD has played the Nuggets three times this season. He has turned out to be the primary defender of Jokic every time in the three games he's been the guy to guard him. It turned out to be hundred, about, about, almost 120 total possessions over three games. He was the primary defender. The Joker, one of seven from three-point range when Davis is guarding him, but 16 of 18 from two-point range when wow. Davis is guarding him. So let's see what happens in this uh, series. This is another series, by the way, where they haven't met in about four months. So the Lakers are a totally different team than what the Denver saw the last time they met. So let's see how that works out there. But those two, those two going at it will be very interesting to see uh, – if Davis can handle them uh,
1: inside and say a foul trouble. You know, Jokic never leaves his feet on the court. The only time he jumps, he jumps about two inches. His feet and legs don't take a pounding. He gets guys off their feet. So Anthony Davis, you know, is going to have to really kind of have discipline on defense, not leave his feet and not try to block Jokic's shot unless, you know, with unless he's in a great position to maybe – put his hands up and get a little piece of it Uh, because Jokic is like this machine. I mean, his postseason numbers are pretty much the same as his regular season numbers, which is to say a tick away from averaging a triple double. By the way, Davis only fouled uh,
2: Joker three times a shooting foul while David, well, Joker was shooting three times in those uh, 120 possessions. So he's been able to stay out of foul trouble and keep uh, Joker relatively fine off the line so but that is a key if he can keep it going because that makes it that's going to be a huge difference if davis has to go to the bench or can't guard him or you know can't play because he has a you know he coughed too hard one time in the series or something stupid like that so we'll see uh how that works out but yeah that's that's going to be a big key is how davis can defend him inside the three-point line
0: and rui hachimura obviously he's had a tremendous postseason thus far in the playoffs for the Lakers this will be the true test as you said Bruce LeBron got a test Rui Hachimura also has a test because this is the one series where they've got size to match up with him they've got Aaron Gordon they've got Michael Porter Jr. I want to see this guy kind of him continue to have that kind of production against this kind of defense uh, in Denver and if he can do that you know what I think he's legit now and uh obviously more praise to that trade that the Lakers made uh, right before the deadline. But with that, let's go ahead and get to our predictions really fast here.
1: World B. Denver in seven. Okay. Bruce. It's hard to disagree with that. So this one is more out of emotion than like, you know, level headedness Lakers in six. All
0: right. I'm going to go Denver in seven as well and uh, join world B there. But uh, should be a fun series, and uh, just like to have a a tab of what we've taken heading heading forward into this series. Now let's get to our fourth quarter, and we're going to switch things up here tonight with a grab bag. And uh, who else would we start with? Let's talk a little bit about John ja Morant, who has already been suspended by the Memphis Grizzlies from all team activities. Bruce, I know you're really passionate about this one, so I'll let you start us off.
1: I'll keep it really fast, okay. I've never heard anybody as crude and raw in their outrage at Jaw as Kwame Brown was over the weekend. Google his rant. If you want to hear an OG, read the Riot Act to a guy who really needs to hear it. Yeah. Will be.
2: Angelo Dundee, the great trainer, once said to Sugar Ray Leonard during his fight with Thomas Hearns, all those years ago, went in the corner and said, "Real simply, you're blowing it, son. You're blowing it." And this is exactly what's happening with Ja. He is letting uh, just absolutely terrible decisions ruin. I mean, forget the money. That's it's his call. What he wants to do with the money, and it, it, you know he's letting the potential uh, a whole lot of money go out the window there. But your <laughs> reputation. I talked to last week about Bob Huggins, how he lost his reputation with his comments. You yep. I mean, John Morant's on the same boat right now. It's I mean, this is what he's gonna be known for at this stage, unless things somehow, if he can last another 15 years and get this out of his out of the way, this is where we're at with John Morant.
0: Totally agree with you guys there. And uh, you know, I'm really hoping he gets more than twenty games and those shams came out and said it's probably gonna be around twenty games or at least twenty. I would like to see a full season. To be honest, I think the league should make an example out of this uh, to all the current and future players in this league, especially with things like Instagram and Instagram Live. I mean, we're talking about a guy that literally just got busted for this just a few months ago. Obviously, he didn't learn his lesson. Obviously, he didn't take it too seriously. He's not really working to, to do anything. So why not make an example out of him, suspend him for the season, and really put it to him to... Other guys take notes, and I think it's only going to benefit other guys that come from Jaw's position to where they need to switch up their friend group. You know, they need to clean up their act. You know, maybe they haven't been taught the life lessons that, you know, we were fortunate enough to be brought up in. Well, I don't want to end up like John Morant. I think I'm not saying obviously ruin this guy's career for good, but I think a night, a really good punishment like a year would actually do this league and also John Morant some really good uh, lessons learned in that. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for with this one. Cause I, I was outraged when I saw it happen yet again, so soon um, another one we wanted to talk about to kind of piggyback on world B's opening tip is of course the Suns did uh, cut ties with Monty Williams, their head coach. And uh, it already seems like the Raptors bucks and pistons are emerging as the top interested teams. Uh, Bruce, Bruce, Wanted to kind of hear from you. Obviously, uh, Monty Williams is a tremendous coach. Were you shocked by the news? And then also, uh, do you think you could end up in a a playoff atmosphere like uh, Toronto or Milwaukee uh, as as soon as
1: this year? It's totally unfair that Monty Williams is taking the fall for the Suns' playoff loss. The Durant trade yielded fool's gold in the regular season and against the shorthanded Clippers, who really were down two great players. But the team gutted its depth with this trade. They they wanted KD so bad, they gave up a lot in this wild gamble to try and win now. I'd say Matt Ishbia is the guy who should learn from this experience. Winning in the NBA does not mean assembling a good fantasy team, all right? He should know better, too. This guy played for Tom Izzo at Michigan State, where every one of Tom Izzo's teams had great chemistry, all right? That was always an essential element, Okay. But, okay, so Monty's gone. Here's what I think should be next with them. They should not get rid of DeAndre Ayton. They should hire a coach that wants to coach DeAndre Ayton that can maybe help DeAndre Ayton unlock some of his potential by giving him a little bit more of a role with, you know, moving forward. Let him touch the ball. Run a couple plays for him. Don't make him feel like his only chance at scoring is to pound the offensive boards. It's not... This guy was the number one overall pick in the draft yeah. five years ago, okay? Believe me, if he doesn't get his act together with a new coach in Phoenix and he gets traded, the Suns will live to regret that because he'll go somewhere else and he'll end up having a really nice career. He's still very young. Will B,
0: anything to add? I know that you talked about it with your opening tip, but...
2: but- I mean, I was I was surprised. I was surprised that it happened. And at the same time, if it's possible, not too surprised. Don't forget last year they got eliminated in game seven by the Mavericks in a, another embarrassing defeat. So we've had two two straight years being eliminated in embarrassing fashion for Monty Williams. And you know, by all accounts, by everything you hear and read, he's a great guy. He's a you know terrific uh he's obviously a terrific coach. He took just think about where the sons were before he got there and where they are now. I mean, that's yep. that, I do that all the time with coaches and stuff. I I remember Mike Woodson with the Knicks used to get criticized all the time. And I'd say, where were the Knicks before Mike Woodson got there? Where are they now? This is 10 years ago, but it's like things are better and things are, while they're not the championship level they want to get at, they're better than they were th- three, four or five years ago. So uh, I was a little surprised in that regard. I think he'd be great in Milwaukee. I mean, if you're going to replace uh, Coach Bud with somebody, he's a perfect guy to lead veterans and be a new voice, and uh, I think everybody would benefit from that, Bonnie and the team. Um, Who takes over? I I don't disagree with Bruce as far as keeping Aiton, but I'm not nearly as big a fan of Aiton's game as Bruce is. Uh, I don't think it's probably not as bad as I think it is, but I don't think it's as good as others think it is so i would you need players so i don't think you're gonna get fair value in return for a trade with eight with his contract so um i think you're almost stuck with them and yeah. i th- next is a big year for the Suns.
0: absolutely and uh going real quickly here bruce the nixon julius randall do you see randall in a nicks uniform next year
1: I do not understand the hatred among the New York fan base towards Julius. The fans need to cut this dude some slack. He was out there playing hurt and he was not the best version of himself. But if he sat out, who exactly would have replaced him? And would they have been better? I think the answer is, I don't think so. Maybe the Knicks are just a year away and it was too soon for them to win two playoff series. They do look to have a really good future. And I think Julius Randle, you know, he's not going to be the best player on a championship team, but he could be the third best player on a championship team. So I mm-hmm. think I think the Knicks fans need to appreciate this guy a little bit more. He gave you what he had; it wasn't enough, but it's no reason to like start pulling posters of the guy down and defacing them. It's like, you know, that to me is just like misplaced anger. Will be. Well, uh,
2: hang on a second. I'm, I'm cutting, uh, Julius Randall personally here. So, um,
0: I'm glad you're not cutting his Jersey.
2: No, I, I agree. I think he'll be back. I think it should be remembered that he did play hurt and he clearly was not the same player. Uh, he was at the end of the regular season or the whole season. You know, he got hurt right at the end of the regular season. Um, I think he still has the potential to be a big part of their success. Uh, I think he was really hurt, but it's not just losing. That was the problem. It's like, he came up really just like we talk about with MD and Harden. He came up really small when they need the most. And that doesn't go well with fans. I agree with you, Bruce That the whole tearing down the poster and all that was trash. And it was, it was that, that I want to say that's not representative of the fans of the Knicks. Although I, I don't know. I was, I was upset after that game, but I didn't find a poster and tear it down or anything like that. I, I, uh, Handle it a little more maturely. I only threw things in the house. Um yeah, I'm I'm growing.
1: What uh, was that? What was that? What was that delivery at your house from Amazon? I think it was the Julius Randall Voodoo doll. Was that not you that ordered that? Or was that- I
2: will tell you this real quick. I'll tell you this. This right here is my wife got for me. It's a W called <coughs> We call it a damn it doll, and every time something bad happens, I can pick this thing up and throw it around and do whatever. It's my damn it doll for WVU. Maybe I need to get one made for for the Knicks or whatever my team. Right now, it actually is honestly the Mets. I need to get a damn it doll for to throw around. But um, I th- I agree. I think he'll be back. I don't think he'll be traded. They're they're young. They have pieces to work with. Uh, it just was not a good time to come up bad in the most important game of the year. That's what the problem is with, with Knicks
0: fans and Julius Randle. I agree. I think he'll be back in a Knicks uniform and uh, I think he will come back stronger than ever and use this as. He adaptation. was an all-star this
2: year, by the way, Knicks fans. just He was an all-star yeah. for you know, and Knicks fans were happy about he was an all-star. They wanted Jalen Brunson, but he was an all-star. He was all NBA too, third team, third team. Absolutely.
0: Right.
1: So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no brainer for sure. And uh, lastly here, uh, we definitely can't forget to mention that uh, Tuesday, which is today when you guys are all listening, is the NBA Draft Lottery. So uh, what what are your guys' thoughts on that? And is there a particular team you would like to see get the number one overall pick? Bruce?
1: I'll go quick because I know World B probably has more info than I do. But here's the thing. You can't spell victories without victor. (laughs) I have no idea if the Spurs, Rockets, or Pistons will win the draft lottery on Tuesday, but I do know this. If the Spurs win the rights to draft him, it will be the third time they'll have the number one overall pick. The last two times they did pretty well, drafting David Robinson and Tim Duncan. And if they get Wen Banyama, we can safely say that God is a Spurs fan. Will it be?
2: Uh, well, up to me. I, I figure I'll wait for the Hornets to end up with the number one pick, but I don't foresee that happening. I For I me, the not. lottery is – my interest in the lottery centers on where the Mavericks get the uh, – do they keep their pick staying in the top ten or does it fall out? Uh, there's, I believe, a 20% chance that it falls out, an 80% chance that he stays in the top ten because if it falls outside the top ten, my Knicks get it, number one. But number two, more – probably more importantly to the NBA world, is that it would prove that their stupid uh, fiasco at the end of the year to bench uh, Kyrie and Luca, or whatever at the end of the year in order to try and lose that game and secure a better chance at that top-ten pick, uh, it was for naught. And by the way, real quick, we got uh, two teams that were in the play-in that are in the conference championship. Yeah. So yeah. the man's decision to to sit that one out looks dumber and dumber every round of the postseason
0: totally agree well said there i am hoping that uh, Wemba Nyama ends up on the san antonio spurs i think pop should groom one more player um, before he does hang it up and call it quits and uh, be a lot of fun to see him in the western conference as well i'd get a little bit more of a chance to see him play so selfishly uh, it'd be nice to see him in a spurs uniform and kind of give them some relevancy. I'm not a huge Spurs fan, but it's been very odd to see him this bad for a number of years now.
1: You know, the Spurs uh, have had good luck with players from France in the past. Not only Tony Parker, who's going to go to the hall of fame, but Boris Diaw was a key guy on some championship teams there. And San Antonio has always been sort of a friendly place for international players. So I think he'd probably feel very much at home there.
0: Well said. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. And real quickly here, Best Bets presented by Bet Online. Uh, I am looking at Game 1 of the Celtics Heat Series. The Celtics, as of taping, are a minus 8, and I certainly like the Celtics to cover that in Game 1 at home, riding the momentum of a big Game 6 and 7. Jason Tatum was on fire, and I am not a believer that this Miami Heat team can score with the Boston Celtics, so... I look at the Celtics covering that eight point spread and uh, we'll get right to our final thoughts now. And uh, Bruce, why don't you lead us off?
1: I know this is around two weeks premature, but the vision of a Lakers versus Celtics NBA final is starting to appear over the horizon. While the Denver Nuggets finals appearance would be a huge deal, it pales in comparison to LeBron James gunning for his fifth NBA championship. In fact, if LeBron makes the finals, both potential opponents are compelling. LeBron versus Pat Riley and his old Miami coach, Eric Spolstra, great storylines. But the big enchilada would be the Lakers against the Celtics, having, yes. with Boston having the home court. The franchises are far and away the two greatest in NBA history. Each has 17 NBA championships, 10 more than third-place Golden State, and far ahead of the Bulls with six and the Spurs with five. The Lakers and Celtics have played each other in the NBA Finals 12 times with Boston winning nine and LA winning three, but LA has won three of the previous four, so they've been hot in recent years, or at least in recent matchups. If you think the NBA is a buzzy sport, this matchup will spike the buzz meter, and even sports fans who have very little interest in the NBA will be watching, and the TV ratings will be the best in a really long time.
0: Absolutely. That would be a sight to see. World B? Thank you, Ross. In the end,
2: only the Joker is standing. Throughout most of the season, the race for MVP was a battle between three players, Giannis, Indeed, and Jokic. For a good part of the season, the Joker seemed to be the favorite to capture a third straight MVP award. And in the end, Indeed earned his first MVP trophy after back-to-back years of being runner-up but in a manner similar to the way Michael Jordan used to react when another player would beat him out for MVP, the Joker has been putting up numbers in this postseason that probably left many wondering if they could do a revote. There's a 53-point performance in Game 4 versus the Suns, which followed his ridiculous 30-point, 17-rebound, 17 17 assists triple triple-double in Game 3. In all, Joker averaged a triple-double versus the Suns and it was just three assists away from averaging the triple double this entire postseason. While Giannis exited the playoff stage rather quietly, and indeed has to answer critics once again for his playoff failures. One man remains on the court and he may not be leaving anytime soon.
0: The Joker. Joke's on all of us, I guess. That's what way I'd sum it up. Uh as for my Ice final tag. thought, uh <laughs> We we had another interesting situation on Instagram, not quite to the level of John Morant, of course, but Ben Simmons had some pettiness tossing up a photo of him watching the 76ers Celtics blowout game in uh, Game 7, and it didn't really sit well with me. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has obviously faced a lot of criticism himself, hasn't had <laughs> much to say about it. Um, at first, I've, I've obviously always felt for this guy, but the fact that he would post that when he's not even playing basketball, when he's able to play, when his team has games and he's, uh, you know, clowning his former team, like the 76ers, just a very clown move. And he needs to grow up because, uh, you know, he's a guy that tries to play the victim sometimes. And obviously mental health is extremely serious and definitely am not discounting that at all. Um, but for him to go ahead and do that and kind of just fire up, uh the 76ers fans and kind of get some of that unwanted attention just beyond me. So um, that one didn't sit well with me. Come on, Ben, you got to be better and and be much wiser if you don't want to take the heat uh, when you're not playing yourself. So um, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast on believe presented by bet online. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date and 48 on all things around the association. Have a good one, everyone. See y'all.